Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, whether you're joining us in person or online, thank you for spending this Sunday morning with us. For many of us in the Asian American community, uh, this last week has been long and hard and very emotional. Last Tuesday on March 16 in Atlanta, a young white male shot and killed eight people at three Asian-owned and operated spas. Six of them were Asian-American women. We grieve and mourn the deaths of the following people. Sunjung Park was 74 years old. Sunja Kim was 69 years old. Young A. Yu was 63 years old. Hyung Jung Grant was 51 years old. Xiao Jie Tan was 49 years old. Dao Yu Fang was 44 years old. Delena Ashley Yan was 33 years old. And Paul Andre Michaels was 54 years old. As members of the Asian American community, it goes without saying, but we denounce and condemn in the strongest possible terms all and any forms of anti-Asian racism and hatred. We grieve the recent and the distressing surge in anti-Asian racism and sentiment, especially during this pandemic. And today we grieve and mourn the loss of precious human life because all lives, including Asian American lives, are created in the image of God. Now as a majority Asian American church, many of us are experiencing and wrestling with a lot of different powerful emotions right now. Some of us are experiencing anger and rage over the senseless murders and over the objectification, fetishization, hypersexualization, and misogyny that have degraded and hurt our Asian sisters for so long. That angers us. And some of us are experiencing agony and pain for the families who lost their grandmothers, mothers, wives, sisters, and daughters. And some of us are experiencing fear and anxiety, especially for the elderly and for the vulnerable, as they seem to be the most common targets for these cowardly and evil attacks. Most of us cannot help but think about and worry about our own parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles during this time. And the thought of anything happening to them makes us anxious and even angry. And some of us, are experiencing exhausting frustration as the reality of anti-Asian racism and hatred is minimized, downplayed, marginalized, or even questioned and denied. For those of us who are struggling with our feelings and our emotions, we need a safe place where we can lament together, a place where we can honestly express our rage and our grief and our fears and our frustrations. We need a place where we can be angry together and cry together, and for us to know that it's okay that we're feeling these emotions right now. It's okay. And then to pray together and to hope together as we look to God's word for comfort, hope, and guidance. That's how we heal together, and that's how we move forward with Christian hope as we renew our commitment to work for justice and peace for all people. 
So this coming Wednesday night, in the place of our weekly Wednesday night prayer meeting, we will host a special night of lament. And so I want to invite you to join us so that we can lament together as a church family, as a covenant community. It will be at 8 p.m. on Zoom. An email with the Zoom link will be sent to you um, in the next day or two. I hope you can join us. Let's lament together. Let's heal together as a community. We're currently in a sermon series called Following Jesus through the book of Luke, and that's because our goal is to follow Jesus around as he moves through the gospel of Luke, and we've been paying attention to the things that he did and to the things that he said. And as we watch Jesus' actions and as we listen to his teachings, it is my hope that we as a church would be um, made more certain of the things that we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he really is the Savior of the world, and that he is the promised Messiah who will make all things new and all things right one day. And also for us to be convinced once again that Jesus really is worth following no matter how hard life may get at times. The title of today's sermon is The Parable of the Lost Sons. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Uh, chapter 15, and we're going to read from verse 11 to 32. Today, we're going to listen to Jesus again, and we're going to listen to one of his most best-known and most beloved parables that that he ever taught. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Would you please give it your careful attention? And he said, this is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your, brother's, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the purpose of the parable. Second, the characters in the parable. And third, the application of the parable. First, let's talk about the purpose of this parable. In verses 1 and 2, which we didn't read, Luke tells us the context and the purpose for this parable. Luke tells us that there were two groups of people who were regularly gathering around Jesus to listen to him. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were uh, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So first, there were the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, these were the people who correspond to the younger son in the parable. They were the rule breakers. They were the self-indulgent, the immoral, and the irresponsible ones who did whatever they wanted. And like the younger son, they left home and they lived their lives doing whatever they wanted, even if it wasn't socially acceptable. They were like the people who grew up in the church, but got sick of God, got sick of the church, left the church, and just wanted to live life on their own, apart from God and apart from any rules or morality or religion. Second, there were the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the people who correspond to the older son in our parable. They were the rule keepers. They were the self-righteous, the moral, and the responsible ones. Like the elder son, they're the ones who stayed home and they lived their lives doing what was right, fulfilling all of their obligations and responsibilities and doing what was expected of them, things that were socially acceptable. They were like the people who go to church regularly and who live good, responsible, and respectable lives. These are the people that their parents are very proud of. These are the people that you want to be neighbors with. Good people. And each of these two groups have different responses to Jesus. Verse 1 says that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. It seemed like they liked being around Jesus. Jesus made them feel safe and welcomed and loved. They liked Jesus. But the good religious church-going type, verse 2 tells us that they grumbled. Now you grumble when you're unhappy. You grumble when you're upset. You grumble when you see something you don't like or something that you disapprove of. So what were the Pharisees and scribes grumbling about? They grumbled 
because Jesus welcomed and ate with sinners, with the people that they considered to be the worst sinners, with people that they thought, uh, with the people that they disliked and disapproved of. You see, in that culture, to sit down and to eat a meal with someone signified that you were befriending that person, that you accepted that person, that you welcomed that person. And they grumbled because Jesus was hanging out with the wrong crowd. They were saying, why would Jesus hang out with people like that? Doesn't he know what kind of people they are? They're tax collectors, traitors, they're prostitutes. They're sinners. Doesn't Jesus care about holiness? Doesn't Jesus care about living holy lives? What's wrong with him? And so they grumbled because they thought Jesus was too lax on sin. Because Jesus should have been condemning them, not eating with them. Let me ask you. What if you saw me, your senior pastor, sitting and eating with and laughing with a homosexual person? or a transgender person, what would you think? Would you give thanks, or would you grumble? Would you be concerned that I would spend time with people like that? If you grumble, you're probably an elder brother. So these were the two groups of people that were gathering around Jesus. So to which group was Jesus directing this parable to? It was to the second group, to the Pharisees and to the scribes, to the religious church-going types. It was in response to their grumbling that Jesus told this extended parable. You see, when this parable is often taught in church, the focus is usually on how the father freely receives and welcomes his repentant younger son when he has returned home. And we like to imagine that the sinners and tax collectors listening to Jesus and this amazing story just would well up with tears of gratitude as they heard about how God graciously welcomes and loves the worst of sinners. And most certainly that is true. But there was another response the Pharisees and the scribes were offended by this parable. You see, it was unthinkable to them that the father would welcome the younger son back after all that the younger son did to the father. So it's a mistake for us to think that Jesus told this parable primarily to reassure younger sons of the father's unconditional love, though that is true. The primary purpose of this parable is to rebuke the older brothers for being so offended that God's love is so unconditional to younger brothers. And then to call them to repent of their self-righteousness, pride, and judgmentalism so that they might receive and love their younger brothers the way the father loves his younger sons. Next, let's talk about the characters in this parable. Now, this parable divides into two parts, and there are three main characters. Part one is about the younger son and the father, and part two is about the older son and the father. Let's look at part one of this parable. Now, part one begins with the younger son making a request to his father. It was a short but a shocking request. He goes to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the inheritance. Now, the original listeners to Jesus would have been shocked by this request, right? Now, there's nothing wrong for a son to expect to receive a share of the family estate as his inheritance. 
You see, in that culture, uh, when a father died, the oldest son would receive a double portion uh, of the inheritance and all the other brothers. So if there were two sons, the older son would receive two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would receive one-third of the estate. But this division and distribution of the inheritance happened only after the father had died. But the younger son was asking for his inheritance now while the father was still alive. In essence, he was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance right now. You see, the younger son didn't want his father. He just wanted his father's money. And so the younger son said, Dad, give me what's mine so I can go live on my own, away from your house, away from your rules, away from you. I just want to go and live my own life my way without anyone telling me what to do. This was an intensely patriarchal society where showing respect and honor to your father was of supreme importance. So in that culture, a father should have responded to such an outrageous and disrespectful request with violent anger. This father should have hit his son in the face, cursed him, disowned him, and driven him out of his house. That's what he should have done. But what was even more shocking than the son's request was the father's response to the son's request. The father didn't get angry. He didn't hit him. He didn't disown him or drive him out of the house, although he had every right to. The father quietly divided his property between his two sons. He liquidated enough of his land and of his assets to give his son a third of his net worth. And the father did this out of love. Because this father loved the son who hated and humiliated him. And then the younger son took his money, went off into a far country, and there he squandered everything that he had as he lived a very reckless and prodigal life. He spent all of his money on good clothes, good food, booze, and women. And after he spent all of his money, now, now, While he had money, he was probably the most popular guy in town because everyone loved being around him. But once his money ran out, so did his friends. And he had nothing. And no one would give him anything. And so what did he have to do? He had to go and hire himself out to a Gentile who then sent him into the pigsty to feed his pigs. And he was so hungry that he wanted to eat the pods or the slop that he was feeding the pigs. For a Jew, he had hit absolutely rock bottom to be in the mud with unclean animals like pigs. Absolute rock bottom for a Jew. And while he was in this pigsty, while he was at the lowest point of his life, the younger son finally came to himself. He came to his senses. And he said, what am I doing here? I have a father who's rich. His servants live well. And I'm here in the pig pen. What am I doing? And so he came up with a plan. He said, I'm going to go back to my father and tell him that I've sinned against God and against you. And I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Would you just please hire me as a servant? Because to be a servant in his father's house was better than being in a pig pen by himself. At least he can make some money and survive better. He'd be better off than he is now. And so the son 
began his journey back home to his father. And as the younger son uh, got within eyesight of the house, while he was still a long way off, according to verse 20, his father saw him. Do you know what that means? It means that the father had been looking for him. You see, every single day, the father had gone out to the front of his house and his eyes were scanning the horizon, waiting for that familiar shape of his son. Is this the day that my son will come back home? Every day he was watching and waiting. That's why he saw him when he was afar off. And the text tells us that he felt compassion and that he ran to his son. Children run. Young men run. Women may run. But patriarchs, rich, respectable fathers, they never run. But this father picks up his robes, shows his skinny legs, and he starts running. He doesn't care how all the other neighbors will view him and think of him, but he runs to his son. And then he fell on him, embraced him, and covered his neck with kisses. Now you can imagine how much this would have shocked the younger son. You see, I'm sure that this son, when he saw the father running at him, he didn't know if he was glad to see him or if he was angry. He expected his father to come and to hit him, not hug him. He expected his father to come and curse him out, not kiss him. He expected his father to put his head into the dirt, not hold it in his chest. And then the son tried to tell his dad his proposal. But before he can even finish, his father cuts him off and says to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring the ring, put it on his hand, and put sandals on his feet. What was the father doing? You see, the best robe in the house would have been his own robe, the father's robe. And by putting his own robe on his son, what he was doing was he was welcoming him back to the family. He was reinstating him into the family. He was declaring, you're still my son, and I'm going to treat you like a son, never like a servant. This was incredible grace on the part of the father. You see, the father had welcomed and received back his son when he should have rejected him. But he welcomed him. And then the father told the servants to prepare a feast of celebration by killing the fattened calf. Now, the fattened calf was expensive, and it was saved for very special occasions like a wedding. Probably the wedding of the older son. And when you kill the fattened calf, it's because you're going to throw a huge party and you're going to invite all of your friends. So all of his friends came and they celebrated with the father because his son who was dead was alive again because his son who was lost had now been found. The lost son had returned home and he was restored to his family and this brought so much joy to the father that he threw the biggest party of his life. Friends, that's the gospel that God graciously welcomes back and receives undeserving sinners. This is such good news for people who know that they've messed up, 
for people who know that they have made a mess of their lives because of their selfish and foolish actions, for people who know that they are foolish sinners. This is especially good news for people who grew up in the church, but who left the church, tried to live, God on, tried to live life on their own without God, found themselves in the pigsty, if you will, at, the, at rock bottom, realizing life apart from God is so miserable. And then they come to their senses. And they wonder, would God take me back? And the answer is a resounding yes. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run from God, no matter how long you've been running from God, the moment you turn and return to God, the Father says, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. There is no period. There is no probation. There is no penance you have to pay. Instantly and immediately, you're welcome back into your Father's arms. Today, I want to tell you, if you are a prodigal son or daughter, Return home today because the Father is waiting for you. He's waiting to forgive you. He's waiting to restore you. He's waiting to throw a party for you. Today, don't delay. Come to your senses and come back home to your Father. And he will put his arms of love around you today. The younger son knew that in his father's house there was food to spare he didn't realize that there was also grace to spare as well. Now we get to part two of the parable. Not everyone is happy that the younger son came back home. When the elder son, who had been working in the fields, came back from work, he heard music and dancing at the house. He saw a big party going on, and he was wondering, what the heck is going on here? So he asked one of the servants, hey, What's going on at home? And then the servant told the older son, hey, your brothers come back home. Your father's so happy about that. And so he killed the fattened calf and we're having a party to celebrate his return. Now it was the older son's turn to disgrace the father because he was furious at his father. The older son refused to go into the party. He stood outside publicly protesting and disapproving of what the father had done in taking the son back. This forced the father to leave the party, to come outside, and to speak to his older son, even though it had been so embarrassing for him to do so because he was the host of the party. But the father came out anyway to talk to his angry older son. Now, why was the elder son so angry? Why, what was he so mad about? He was angry at the cost of all that was happening. He said, all these years I served you. I did everything you've ever asked me to do. I never once disobeyed you, but you never even gave me one goat to have a party with my friends. And you killed the fattened calf for him? see, by bringing the younger son back into the family, the father had made him an heir again. And that meant that he had a claim to one-third of the remaining family estate again, which had been greatly reduced and diminished because the younger son had already taken a third and squandered it away. You see, the rest of the family wealth was supposed to go to the elder son. All of it was supposed to be his. 
He was the good, dutiful, obedient son. He did everything his father asked him to do. He never disobeyed his father. And all of his father's wealth was supposed to be his once his dad died. But now, because the father had reinstated his brother as a son, he would now have to share with his brother what was rightfully his. And the older son was thinking, my brother squandered his portion away. And now he's going to get a third of my portion? How is that fair? Where is the justice in that? It was unconscionable to the elder brother. You see, the older son didn't really love the father. You see, if the older son really loved the father, he would have seen the joy that the father had over the return of his younger son. And he would have entered into the party and celebrated with his father. But the older son didn't love the father. He just loved his father's money. And he was enraged that he would have to share his father's money with his brother. The truth is, in this parable, neither the younger son nor the older son truly loved the father. They both loved the father's money. The younger son tried to get it by being rebellious. The older son tried to get it by being religious. One by being very bad, one by being very good. Both sons wanted the father's money more than they wanted the father. And so in his anger, the older son insulted and humiliated his father. He addressed his father in the uh, sons were supposed to address their fathers in respectful terms. But listen to what he did in verse 29. He says to his father, look, look. Which is like saying, look here, you. This would have been an outrageous and totally unacceptable, disrespectful way for a son to speak his, uh, to his father like that. It's like a Korean son saying to his Korean father, Yeah, yogiba! Which is a way of saying, Look here, you, in very disobedient and disrespectful terms. And so, how would the father respond to his older son's disrespectful, outrageous accusations? Now, the father had every right to be angry with his older son. But instead, the father responds with so much patience and kindness. He pleads with his older son to come into the celebration. And he said, my son, despite how you're insulting me right now, I still love you. You're still my son. And I want you to come into the celebration and celebrate with me that your brother has returned. I want that for you. But the choice is yours. Now this is where Jesus is the master storyteller. Leaves us with a cliffhanger. So does the son go in or not? <laughs> we don't know because Jesus doesn't tell us. He ends the parable right here. Now why doesn't Jesus finish the parable and give us the climax or the resolution that we're looking for? It's because the audience for the story uh, was the Pharisees, and they could decide the end of the story. This was the original choose-your-own-ending story. Would the Pharisees have a change of heart, and would they enter into the feast of the Father by embracing tax collectors and sinners? Or would they stay outside, stay angry, and reject tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees could decide how this story ends because this story was for them and it was about them. You know, as we 
think about the self-righteous, unloving, older brother in our story. Doesn't it make you long for a compassionate, loving older brother? Now, the two previous parables that we didn't read before this one actually sets up this parable. When the sheep was lost, the shepherd went to go and find the sheep. When the coin was lost, the woman went to look for the lost coin. But when the son was lost, nobody went to go look for him. Who should have gone to look for the lost son? It should have been the older brother. The older brother in the parable should have said, Father, I know that your younger son, my brother, has left the house and he has broken your heart and his life is in a mess. He's in ruins and he's lost. I know you love him. So I'm going to go look for him and I'm going to bring him back. And when I bring him back, I know that he doesn't have any more inheritance anymore. But you know what? I'm going to share my inheritance with him so he can be your son again. I'm going to go get him and bring him back, Dad, because I know you love him. That's what the older brother should have done. And it is only at the elder brother's expense that the younger brother can be reinstated and brought back into the family. Remember, the younger son already squandered his inheritance. And for his younger brother to have another inheritance would mean that the older brother would have to give up his inheritance so that he might have one. See, every dollar that remained in the family estate belonged to the older brother, but the true older brother is willing to share with his younger brother. In fact, to give it all to him. The younger brother's restoration to the family was free for the younger brother, but it would come at an an enormous cost for the older brother. You see, in actuality, it was the older brother's robe, the older brother's ring, the older brother's sandals that were put on the younger brother. It was the older brother's fattened calf that was killed for the younger brother's party. The father could not just receive the younger son. Someone had to pay. The father could only reinstate his younger son at the expense of the older son. And Jesus did not put a true elder brother in this story because by putting a flawed older brother in the story, it makes us long for a perfect and true older brother. And Jesus was inviting us to yearn for him because he's the true older brother, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, even at a cost to himself. Jesus is our true elder brother, and he loves us. He came to look for us, and he brought us back home at an enormous cost to himself. You see, for Jesus to bring us back home, it would not cost him just his inheritance, but it would cost him his life. Jesus is the kind of elder brother that would have come and found us in the pigsty, picked us up, put his arms around us, and carry us back home. 
And he would have brought us to the Father and said, Father, here is your son that you love and that has been lost, but I have brought him back to you. So let's celebrate because you have gotten your beloved son back and I've got my brother back. That's the kind of elder brother Jesus is. And when you can see the love of your true elder brother who went to a far country himself, who left heaven to come all the way to where we are, who didn't just go into a pig pen, but went to a cross to bring us back home. When you can see that kind of love for you, it just melts your heart. It changes you. Because you realize, man, my big brother loves me. He even died for me. And the more you can see the love of your big brother for you, the more it's going to change you the more it's going to make you love him and want to follow him as your Lord and your Savior. So we talked about the purpose of the parable and the characters in the parable. Lastly, let's talk about the application of the parable, and we'll be done soon. Let me ask you, with which character do you most identify with today? Is it the younger son, the older son, or the father? Do you identify with the younger son today? Do you feel guilty and ashamed and worthless because of all that you've done? Did you grow up in the church, but you ran off for years, and you're wondering if you can come back? Or maybe you've been faithful in the church, you've been serving in the church, but for a season you got yourself into some foolish, stupid sin. You blew up your life. And you're wondering, can I come back? Maybe you're in the pigsty right now. You're at rock bottom and you're wondering, can I come back home? And to you, I want to say, yes. The Father was waiting for you. Come back home. He wants to put a robe on you. He wants to put a ring on your hands. He wants to put sandals on your feet. And he wants to throw the biggest party ever because you came home. You who were dead are now alive again. You who were lost, you are now found again. Come back to your father. Come back home and let us rejoice with all the angels in heaven because you have returned to the father. Or maybe uh, today you identify with the older son. Maybe you know that you're self-righteous and you're proud. That always makes you angry. You're always critical. You're always complaining. You're always finding fault. You're always finding a reason to protest something. And maybe it bothers you that broken and messed up people with so many problems allowed to show up at church and they're not being confronted for their sin. Maybe it bothers you that people don't seem to be taking holiness as seriously as you. And you're just angry. You're always looking down on people. To you, I want to say, you're in as much spiritual danger as the prodigal son or daughter. And today, Jesus wants to lovingly rebuke you for your self-righteousness and your pride. And he wants to call you to repent. Stop judging people. Start embracing them. 
Yes, they're dirty. Yes, they still stink. I bet you when the younger son came back home, he still smelled while the father's robe was on him because he didn't take a, have a time to take a bath before the robe was on him. I get it. They're still stinky, messed up, broken people. But the father has received them. Can't you? Can't you? That's what the father wants you to do today, to receive and embrace the people that you think don't deserve to be in God's house. That's true. But you know what? You don't deserve to be in God's house either. Or third, maybe you identify with the father. Maybe you have kids who are far from the Lord, who are not walking with the Lord, and it breaks your heart. You've prayed for years that your kids might see the beauty of Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus. And if you're a Christian parent, there is no pain greater than seeing your kids lost away from the Lord. There's nothing you would not give for them to be brought home. I know your pain. Today, parents, I want to say to you, don't lose hope. Keep praying for your kids and keep waiting. Keep scanning the horizon because you never know what day that the Lord may bring them back home. And when they do, I know that you're ready to run to them and to embrace them and to kiss them and to throw the biggest party ever for them. So today I want to say to you, broken-hearted parents, keep praying. Keep waiting, keep watching, because we believe that one day the Lord will bring them home. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful, this rich parable that speaks so much of your never-ending, never-to-be-exhausted reckless love that you have for us that can forgive and welcome both younger sons and older sons to know that we have a father who welcomes both types of lost sons. Father, every one of us in this room, we have been both sons. And so we come to you knowing that you will never reject us, but you love us and you welcome us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.